Nice to be here. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. It's a privilege to be speaking to you today. Again, I wish, as Pastor Mel said, we could all be together today, but we trust the Lord with this entire plan and purpose, and we just are thankful for technology, thankful for the opportunity to gather around the Word of God today and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, if this is the first time you're tuning in, we thank you for joining us. If you're a regular member, we thank you for joining us. I pray that today would be a blessing for each of us, that God's word would go forth powerfully, that we would be impacted and motivated by the truth of the gospel today. We started a series a few weeks ago called The Classics, Seeing the Old Through the New. We looked at a bunch of Old Testament stories that are classic stories, and we were reminded of those stories, but at the same time, we wanted to see them through the lens of the New Testament because we have something special that the Old Testament people didn't have. We have the complete story. We have the entire story, and what we want to do is look at those old classic stories through the lens of the New Testament. And so we started this series several weeks ago, and we want to continue that today. But today's a little bit different because we actually want to look at a New Testament story through the lens of the old. And that is, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today's uh, lesson is going to be titled, Risen to New Life. Risen to New Life. And we're going to look at several passages today, and we'll get there there in a minute. But did you ever experience something that changed your life? We just heard a couple testimonies about people who experienced something, someone that changed their life. But did you ever experience something that changed your life? I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about me meeting my wife, Janine. Uh, growing up, I didn't really give a lot of effort to the relationships that I had with other girls uh, going through college and even after college. I dated several girls several times, but... Uh, didn't give a lot of effort. Didn't give, I would say, moderate effort I gave towards these relationships because I didn't care enough about them. I didn't care if they fizzled out. I didn't care if she dumped me or if I dumped her. It didn't really bother me that much. In fact, I was the sort of guy that if my friends broke up with one of their girlfriends and was all broken up about it, I'd be the guy that would say, get a grip. You know, get a grip, move on. It's just a chick. There's other fish in the sea. Move on, buddy. I was that kind of guy. And so I gave moderate effort towards dating. And I also never understood those sappy love songs. You know the ones I'm talking about? Do you remember the old Carpenter song where it says, Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Uh, by the way, is that the creepiest line that's ever been written in a love song? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Imagine saying that to a girl without it being in song. You know, Wanda, I really enjoy you. I really enjoy being around you and going out with you. Uh, it's fun. I really enjoy it. But I do have to ask you one question. It's been in my mind for a long time. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? What is it? Can't we just go out to dinner one time without a flock of seagulls following us? I didn't understand sappy love songs. I didn't get it. I didn't understand this dating process. But something happened that changed my life. I met Janine. I met Janine. In Michigan, I moved there in 2008, in September of 2008, and I met Janine and started dating Janine. And after one month of dating, I decided it was time to put a ring on her finger. I got engaged to Janine one month after I moved to Michigan because I knew she was on the radar of a couple other guys and I didn't want to let her slip through my fingers. So I, I made her my fiance. Well, she said yes to that, thankfully. But uh, well, a month after I moved to Michigan, I put a ring on Janine's finger. She became my fiance. And then something happened. Uh, a little bit after that, her ex-boyfriend started to call her randomly and I remember getting frustrated by that and getting upset by that, but I didn't really know why. I just felt very upset that he was calling and we were engaged. 
And I got angry. I got angry by that. And then one time we went out to dinner, Ginny and I went out to dinner, and another guy texted her while we were at dinner. And I remember getting very upset by that. And I didn't know what to do with these emotions because I had never experienced these emotions before. But I was kind of like the Incredible Hulk at that moment. You know, my skin started to turn green. My shirt was ripping a little bit. And I didn't know what was happening. And suddenly I realized I was jealous. I was jealous. I had never felt jealousy before in my life. And I started to realize I was jealous. And I realized why I was jealous. Because I loved Janine. And I didn't want her to be stolen by anyone else. And so I felt jealousy because I felt love. And honestly, I finally started to understand those sappy love songs. I finally did. In fact, one of the greatest things about my wife is that when I'm around Janine, birds suddenly appear every time she is near. And I love that. It's like, wow, look at all these birds. This is amazing. So I don't know if you've ever experienced something like there's a little humor for you, even though no one's laughing. Hopefully you are laughing, though. Thank you, Grace. But did you ever experience something that changed your life? Well, cutting the humor, we're actually going to look at something very profound today, very profound that does change people's life forever. And it's the title of the lesson, like I mentioned today, is called Risen to New Life. And we're going to start in sort of a classic passage. I don't know if I would call it a classic Easter passage, but it is a classic passage from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 21. And I believe it's going to be on the screen behind me, but follow along as I read 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's a word we're going to talk about. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's an incredible passage. And we want to look at that a little bit today, along with a couple other passages. But we're going to piggyback today's lesson off of last week's lesson, and I know some of you may not have heard that lesson, but last week Pastor Mel spoke to us on the classic story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Maybe you know that story. Maybe that story is fresh in your mind. But Abraham was called to a near impossible task, wasn't he? He was called to sacrifice his only son unto the Lord. You see, Isaac, his son, was special. Special to Abraham. Even if Abraham would have had dozens of kids, several kids, all of them would have been special to Abraham. But you see, Isaac to Sarah and Abraham was their only son. Their only son. And Isaac, according to the scripture, was the son of God's promises. The son of all his promises. For a little context, Abraham and Sarah had wanted children for decades. And Sarah was barren. She was unable to have children, even one child. And after a few episodes of Abraham and Sarah sort of conniving in order to get a child on their own methods, God had actually promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son, they would have a child. That he would bring them a son in his due time, and his due process, he would bring them a son. And this promise was not fulfilled until Abraham was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90 years old. I want you to imagine how 
you would feel towards that child if you had to wait that long to receive that child? How would you feel towards your child if you had to wait decades and decades to receive a child from God? And once you finally did receive it, I want you to imagine how special that long-awaited child would be to you after you waited so long for God's promise to come to fulfillment. You see, I got married when I was 29 years old, and that's pretty late. Uh, 29 years old, I was married, and I didn't have my first child until I was 32 years old. And I remember thinking how special it was when those two events finally happened because I had anticipated them for quite a long time. And when they happened, I was thrilled and I was thinking, wow, God, you brought these things to my life and it's so special and so important to me. But can you imagine being 90 or 100 years old and finally you receive God's promised child? You see, it wasn't a perfect journey for Abraham and Sarah. There was definitely episodes of doubting God along the way. But finally, when Sarah was 90 years old, she gave birth to their son, Isaac. And when God promised to give them a son, he told Abraham that God would bless Abraham immensely through Isaac. That Isaac would be the means of giving Abraham so many physical and spiritual descendants that they would be as numerous as the sand and the seashore and the stars and the night sky. That's how special Isaac was going to be to Abraham and Sarah. So Isaac, for all intents and purposes, was the chosen one. He was the chosen one for all of God's promises. And you could say this, without Isaac, Abraham's line would have ended. Abraham's line would have ended and he wouldn't have been anyone special to us. Versus now, he's the patriarch, isn't he? Abraham's the patriarch of the Christian faith. But without Isaac, that wouldn't have happened. Without Isaac, Abraham wouldn't have had any descendants, physical or spiritual. But just as God promised, Isaac was finally born And God kept all his promises to Abraham and Sarah, because that's how our God is. And now Abraham could finally receive all of God's wonderful promises through his son, Isaac. It's a great story. God's plan was working according to perfection. But then we come to Genesis chapter 22, and this is where Abraham is going to be tested by God. If you have your Bibles, join us in Genesis 22. We're not going to preach through this passage again, but I do want us to be reminded of this passage and what Abraham had to go through with his son, because it's really important for us to see our story today properly. Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Verse 9, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac and laid Isaac on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Isn't that an amazing story? Pastor Mill spoke to us last week about this story, about this passage, so we're not going to reteach it and rehash everything. And if you want to find that sermon, you can find it, as Pastor Mill said on our website, wyomingvalleychurch.org. But I do want us to remember a few important details of the story. You see, Abraham, like I said before, had only one son, Isaac. And the son was special, very special to Isaac, excuse me, to Abraham and Sarah. He was going to be the means by which Abraham secured countless generations. And this is a very important detail to remember for our parallel that we're going to look at here in a little bit. This detail makes this test of Abraham exponentially more difficult for Abraham. He was his only son. And he was the son of all of God's promises. Abraham was called to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, the son of promise, unto the Lord. Abraham immediately obeyed God and was willing to put Isaac on the altar and slay his son while trusting God's plan. That's incredible, isn't it? That's absolutely incredible. He didn't have any back talk. He didn't have any murmuring. He didn't have any questions. He simply obeyed God's plan. He put his son on the altar and was ready to sacrifice him. He trusted God to such a degree that it says in Hebrews, what we'll look at here in a minute, he trusted that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Wow. In verse, uh, excuse me, of chapter 11 of Hebrews, verses 17 to 19, listen to what it says about this story. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Isn't that amazing? Abraham places Isaac on the altar and raises the knife in his hand in order to obey God's plan and sacrifice his son. But Abraham did not have to kill his son that day. Abraham did not have to sacrifice Isaac that day because at the last moment, a ram was provided by the Lord to sacrifice in place of Isaac. So Isaac gets off the altar, the ram goes on the altar, and Isaac regains his life. It's amazing. As amazing as the story is, though, it parallels almost exactly an even a more amazing story from the New Testament that we want to focus on. Because you see, as Abraham had only one son, God, the Father, has only one begotten son. And we find that in John 3.16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you notice the similarity? Abraham had one son and his son was special. God has one begotten son. And his son is beyond special. His son is unique. There is no one like Jesus Christ. No one. There is no other. There is no twin. There was no second son. Jesus is God's only begotten son, and he's very, very unique. 
Abraham's son was the son of promise. Isaac was going to bring Abraham so many descendants, they would be too numerous to count. And God's son Jesus was also going to be the means by which God would receive a people back to him so numerous, no one could count them. Perhaps we're starting to see this parallel take shape here. God has one son. Abraham had one son. Abraham's son was going to bring, excuse me, Abraham's son was going to bring Abraham uh, numerous descendants. God's son was going to bring God numerous people back to himself. You see, God's created people, all of us, had rebelled from God. Choosing our sin and our idolatry over his great love and protection. And because we did that, we, be, we became eternally separated from our God. See, God is holy. God is holy. And he destroys those who are not holy. That's interesting, isn't it? Before we get to the salvation, we have to understand that God is holy. He's perfectly holy, just, and righteous. And unless God intervened and decided to save and restore us to himself, we were going to be lost forever. Forever apart from our loving God. Can you imagine such a thing? But thankfully, as we all know and we all proclaim today, God did intervene. He did intervene because he didn't want us lost. He didn't want us to perish. He didn't want us to be separated from him for all eternity. But in order for God to save his people, a sacrifice was going to have to be made. Do you see the parallel? You see, sin has to be paid for. It has to be paid for, not swept under the rug. Sin must be paid for because God is holy. God is perfectly just. God is righteous. And we are sinners, all of us, through our ancestors, Adam and Eve. We have all started as sinners upon this earth. But we're also sinners through our choices. Every single day we choose to do things that are against God's law and against God's nature. And that's not how we were created. We were created in God's image to be just like our God, to think like God, to love the things that God loves, to do the things that God loves. But we rebelled. We chose sin. We chose idolatry over our great God and his love. And because of that, we were headed straight to hell. Because of those sins, someone was going to have to step in and save us from that sinful lifestyle. Because again, remember, God is holy. Sin has to be paid for. Someone was going to have to step in and save us from that sinful lifestyle and forgive the many sins that we had committed against our God. Someone was going to have to step in with a sacrifice. Enter God's Son, Jesus. See, Jesus, God's only begotten Son, willingly obeyed God's plan. Similar to Abraham's son, Isaac, when he said, Isaac, we're going up to make a sacrifice, Isaac willingly went with his father to the place of the sacrifice. But unlike Isaac, Jesus came to this earth with perfect knowledge of what he was going to have to do in order to save God's people and bring them back to himself. But Isaac didn't know, did he? Isaac didn't know along the way he's asking Abraham, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Isaac didn't know, but Jesus knew. Jesus had full understanding of what he was going to have to do in order for God to receive his people back to himself. John 3.16, we'll read the uh, remainder of it. We'll read the entire verse now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. It tells us that God was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son. 
just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son out of love for someone else. Did you ever sacrifice out of love for someone else? Think about that. You have, right? We all know what it's like to sacrifice out of love for another. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I do a lot of sacrifice. I hope I do for my wife. I told her how, I told you how special she is to me, but I think this is a version of sacrifice. I would say I've watched so many chick flicks. I think I have all the lines to Pride and Prejudice memorized. And I'm going to be honest with you. That wouldn't have happened without Janine. That would not have happened without my wife and my love for my wife. I'm joking a little bit, but I do have a lot of them memorized. Um, but that's, that's an evidence of me sacrificing for my son. It's a shallow example, of course. What we're talking about today is a very deep example. But I hope you know what it's like to sacrifice, make a sacrifice for someone that you love. And I hope you're starting to see these two parallels come together. In our first story, Abraham trusted that even if he had to kill Isaac, even if he had to sacrifice his son, he believed that somehow, some way, God could raise Isaac from the dead. Wow, that is amazing faith. Nothing like that had ever happened before. No one had been risen from the dead before. Why did Abraham think that? Because he trusted God. He trusted God's promises to such a level that he thought that even if Isaac did have to be killed that day, God could raise Isaac from the dead. But this is before Lazarus had been raised. This is before Jesus, of course, had been raised. Abraham had never seen anyone raised from the dead, but he knew what his God was like. He knew that God always keeps his promises. And thankfully, in our story, in the first story, it never got to that point, did it? It never got to that point because an angel of the Lord, right before Abraham is about to drop the knife on his son, an angel of the Lord steps in and yells out and says that a ram has been provided for Abraham to sacrifice instead of Isaac. But even if Abraham did have to sacrifice his son, and even though resurrection from the dead had never happened up to that point, Abraham believed that God would keep his promises to him and God would raise his only son Isaac back from the dead. All of these details are very important for us to understand and value the story here in the New Testament. See, in our New Testament parallel, just as Isaac was laid on the altar and the knife was raised by Abraham in order to slay his son, God sent his only son, Jesus, to the cross in order to sacrifice him. Isaac was laid on the altar awaiting death Jesus was nailed to the cross, awaiting crucifixion. These stories are very alike. They're very, very similar. They parallel very well. But you see in our original story, Abraham and Isaac, Abraham doesn't have to kill Isaac because God sends a ram, sent a ram at the last moment to take Isaac's place. But here's the difference. In our New Testament parallel story, there was no ram to take Jesus' place because Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus was always going to be the Lamb of God. See, in the Old Testament story, there was two parts. If you were going to make a play, there'd have to be someone playing the part of Isaac and there'd have to be a ram. In our New Testament story, Jesus is both the Son of God and he's the Lamb. Abraham did not have to drop the knife on his son, but God did have to drop the knife on his son, in a matter of speaking, by letting the Jews and the Romans crucify his only begotten son. I want you to pause for a moment and consider that great love. God let his son be killed for our sake. 
his only begotten son, his special and unique son. There is no duplicate. There is no replicate. And he let him die for our sake. Now, if that's where the stories ended, they would be very similar, of course, but one would have a happy ending, which we love, and we'd be full of hope. But the other one would be incredibly sad and full of dread, right? But as you see, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham, in a matter of speaking, received Isaac back from the dead. The only difference is that Isaac didn't actually have to die in order to find new life. He was spared death. And in that way, he regained his life in a figurative way. He was raised from the dead. But in our New Testament parallel, as we just mentioned, Jesus actually died. The Lamb of God was actually sacrificed. His spirit gave out. He breathed his last breath on the cross, and he died. And without one important and crucial detail, the death of Jesus might be the saddest story ever told. But just as Abraham believed in the resurrection without ever witnessing one, Jesus is the reason that Abraham believed in the resurrection. Because only three days after Jesus died and was buried in a tomb, he raised back to life and was given brand new life. And that is the Easter story. That is what we call Resurrection Sunday. We glory in the fact that three days later, Jesus arose from the dead. But how can it be? How can it be? We've seen people brought back from near death, right? CPR, Heimlich maneuver, they're attached to some, sheet, some machine that keeps their heart going. But how can someone find life after death? Maybe it's become too common to us, this Easter story. Isn't that amazing? Isn't death the final chapter for all of us? Isn't death the period in all of our sentences? We have a birthday and we have a death day. Today is my baby boy Marcus's first year birthday. And it reminds me that we all have a birthday, but we all have a death day, right? When death comes to us, isn't that the end? Isn't it? At least that's what pop culture would tell us, that once death comes, that's it. Period. It's over. And I'll be honest, if death is the final chapter, and there's no new life to find after death, then what we're dealing with with the coronavirus currently is absolutely terrifying. If death is the final chapter, and there's no life after death, and this virus is killing tens of thousands of people, ending their stories, then this is absolutely terrifying. If there is no life after death, then all of us should be scared every moment of our day. Because death is coming to ruin all of our parties, isn't it? But according to Scripture, this is the greatest thing, according to Scripture and according to over 500 first-hand witnesses, Jesus raised to new life after he had died. Wow. Imagine a court scene where 500 people are lined up one after another saying, I saw Jesus after he was dead. He was alive. I saw Jesus after he was dead. He was alive. 500 in a row. That's what scripture tells us. And you see this one detail changes everything. It changes everything. This is why Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead because death is not the final chapter for those who are loved by God. I'll say it again. Death is not the final chapter for those who are loved by God. We've been taught that even death bows and takes orders from the life giver. Life conquers death for those who have a relationship with God because Jesus is the life. Hallelujah. 
And since Jesus was raised to new life, this brings up another very important parallel story. We need to pay attention here because there is another death that has occurred in each of us. Spiritual death. And this death is way more devastating, way more devastating than physical death. Because spiritual death is eternal death. Unless there is a way to find resurrection and new life. Spiritual death is eternal death unless there's a way to find resurrection and new life. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, another very famous passage. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Paul is talking to Christians and he says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, listen to this, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's an amazing passage. You see, all of us are awaiting physical death. All of us. Whether we're God's children or not. All of us are awaiting physical death. Because physical death is a result of living on a sin-cursed, broken world. Which we all live upon. We can't avoid it. We can't avoid physical death just like the earth can't avoid being disposable. Scripture teaches us that the earth is temporary. And one day it's going to be rolled up like a scroll and thrown away because it's temporary and it's cursed. And we're temporal physical beings based on the curse of sin. We were all born and we will all die. And I know that sounds like a Debbie Downer statement to say in an Easter service, but because of this fact that we will all die one day, we shouldn't be primarily concerned about physical death. Seriously. We shouldn't be primarily concerned about physical death because ever since we sinned against God in Genesis 3, life on this earth is temporary for all of us. All of us, myself included. Because of the curse of sin, it's the earth's new nature to be temporary. Because of the curse of sin, it's our new nature to be temporary in the physical realm. Physical death comes to all mankind. Even if we avoid Dying from the coronavirus, death is coming for us all. This earth and everyone on it are destined for physical death. And this is a problem, it is, but we have a much bigger problem to concern ourselves with because the coronavirus, physical death, none of those things are the biggest problem. Physical death is coming to every single one of us. See, but God created us to be eternal spiritual beings, Physical death for an eternal spiritual being is like a snake shedding its skin. It's like packing up your tent 
after the end of a camping trip. Physical death may seem horrible on the surface, but as long as we have spiritual eternal life, physical death can't harm us. Physical death, if we have eternal spiritual life, is like a passageway. It's like a gateway. It's like a door to a much longer and much better life. That's what scripture teaches. Physical death takes Christ followers to a better place, doesn't it? Therefore, those who have Christ, those who are in Christ, should not fear death. Death is a passageway. Death is a gateway. Physical death, that is. But before we get to the good news, here's the bad news. If we listen to God's word, which we just read in Ephesians chapter 2, all of us died spiritually. All of us, myself included. And as I mentioned before, if you die spiritually, it's not like dying physically on the earth. Physical death is a temporary experience that everyone will face. Physical death is a passageway, a gateway to either eternal life or eternal death. But spiritual life is eternal death. Excuse me, spiritual death is eternal death. If we don't find a cure for spiritual death, we are eternally doomed. Right now, they're trying to find cures and antibodies and vaccines for the coronavirus because if we find a cure, not many people will die. We can get back to normal life, and that's a very good thing. But the cure for spiritual eternal death is way, way more important because physical death comes to everyone. Physical death is inevitable. Spiritual death is eternal death. That is the cure that we need today. And thankfully, thankfully, just like Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the dead, and just like Jesus raised physically from the dead, the same scripture passage, Ephesians chapter 2, that tells us that we were dead spiritually because of sin, also tells us that we can find new spiritual eternal life with Jesus. Amen? There is a cure for spiritual eternal death. Jesus raising to new physical life on earth is not the most profound detail of the Easter story. It's not. The most profound detail of the Easter story is that after Jesus resurrected, he ascended back to heaven to take his rightful place on the throne of God forever. That's the most profound detail of the Easter story. Jesus went from the tomb of the earth to the throne in heaven with God. Jesus resurrected from both physical and spiritual death, which he died because of our sins, and now he has eternal life with God in heaven. And that's the exact same life that God offers us today. In Ephesians 2, listen to it again, but verse, excuse me, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Listen to this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus died as we all will, but Jesus didn't stay dead. And those who are with Jesus follow Jesus. And since we follow Jesus, we will experience the very same resurrection that Jesus experienced. Praise the Lord. We will experience the exact same resurrection 
from our death unto new life in heaven with God that Jesus experienced. Why is this significant? Why do we teach this today? Because the news of us being able to risen to new life is so profound. It's so profound because of this one fact. Life equals hope. Life equals hope. And if you put an eternal in front of both of those, eternal life equals eternal hope. Death, on the other hand, shakes our hope, doesn't it? The daily media reports of the coronavirus is probably shaking our hope because the virus is killing many, many people. But what if you had guaranteed eternal life? What if you had guaranteed eternal life? What if even death couldn't hurt you? What if you were able to look death straight in the eyes and say, you can't hurt me? What if your hope was rooted in the resurrected Jesus? What if your hope was right now seated on the throne of God? What if your hope was right now giving orders to death? Do you think the knowledge and hope of eternal life would change how you lived upon the earth? Do you think the knowledge and hope of eternal life would change the way you live upon the earth? And that's the point of today's lesson. Hope and a changed life. Grace and Luke just gave their testimony of a changed life. A life that was going this direction, headed towards hopelessness and hell and destruction and sadness. And then Christ came into their life. And it turned them towards life and hope and peace and security forever. And it changed their life. How can it not? The fact that we can have new life in Jesus and that we await a resurrection similar to Jesus changes our lives. Without new spiritual life, we're hopeless. We are hopeless. Spiritual death is already upon us, according to Ephesians 2, and physical death is coming for us. Physical death is at the gateway that will take us to either eternal life with God in heaven or eternal death apart from God in hell. None of us, none of us want eternal death without God's love and protection. None of us want that. That is hopelessness. And everyone, everyone upon the earth wants hope. I mean, read the media reports. We all want hope right now, don't we? And this is what Jesus Christ offers us. If we don't have the hope of eternal spiritual life with Jesus, then what are we living for? What are we living for? Because without hope, life is meaningless. It's meaningless. If we don't have hope, Our life has no meaning whatsoever. Whether we die from the coronavirus or a car accident or some future disease or even if we live to be 100 years old, physical death is coming for all of us and spiritual death is already upon us. What we need is the hope of resurrection. We need the hope of resurrection. We need new spiritual life today with Jesus and thankfully, praise the Lord, we can have New spiritual life today with Jesus. John 3.16, one more time, in the simplest of language, tells tells us this. This is low-hanging fruit. This is for everybody, child, adult, whether you're a scholar or not. Listen to the language. It's so simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish spiritually and eternally, but will have eternal life. God cannot break his promises.
Even if Isaac was to die, God would have raised him back from the dead because God cannot break his promises. If you believe in Jesus, you cannot perish, but you will have eternal life. Do you want the hope that will change your life forever? Do you want the hope? Do you have the hope that has changed your life forever? Listen to the passage we started this lesson with. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It tells us that if we turn away, leave our sins that have killed us spiritually, and we turn to Jesus by faith, we do a 180 degree turn from sins unto Jesus. And I want to remember, the resurrection allows us to do that. The resurrection allows us to turn from our sins unto Jesus. Sin is what's killing us, but Jesus conquered death. So if we turn from our sins unto Jesus, it's called having faith, these things will be true of us. We will be reconciled, which means brought back together with God in a loving, eternal covenant relationship. We will be reconciled, brought back to God in a covenant, eternal, loving relationship. Number two, we will have new spiritual life that will change our very nature forever. I am a first-hand witness that when I trusted in Jesus Christ, when I turned from my sin unto Jesus, I changed permanently. Glory to God. Number three, if you turn to Jesus by faith, you will have the hope of resurrection and eternal life with God. And that hope and that resurrection will change your life. And number four, you will never have to fear death ever again. Can you imagine handing that out on the streets to say, listen, I have the cure for death. I have the cure for the fear of death. Can you imagine what that would do for someone's life if they found the cure for death? Don't you want that Easter present? Don't you want it? I hope you have it today. And if you don't, today is the day to receive that Easter present by turning to Jesus by faith. See, all those who could say yes to those truths today have one constant about them. Jesus is the reason that we exist. He has to be. If Jesus died for my sins, if Jesus took my punishment from God, if Jesus forgave all of my sins, if Jesus promises me resurrection and eternal life with him, then certainly the only obvious choice for me to make is for me to live my life for Jesus. Isn't that obvious? Isn't that obvious? Even if that wasn't obvious, listen to what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15. It says, listen to the language, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Has the love of Christ controlled you? Is the love of Christ compelling you? Is the love of Christ constraining you today to lay down your life for Jesus, similar to the way he laid down his life for us? You see, no one who experiences, experiences eternal life with Jesus remains in their sins. They can't. No one who experiences this eternal life, spiritual life with Jesus, remains in their sins because sin is the enemy to Jesus. Sin is what put our Lord Jesus on the cross. If you have a relationship with Christ through his 
death, and resurrection, you cannot remain in your sins. Number two, no one who experiences eternal life with Jesus remains selfish. No one. Because we are controlled and compelled and constrained by the love that Christ has for us. And we can get derailed, we can get sidetracked from that love. But once we reflect and remember the great love of Christ, we cannot remain selfish any longer, can we? We can't remain in our sins, we can't remain selfish, and we can't remain powerless over sin. Because Christ gave us the power to conquer sin. Christ conquered sin. Christ conquered death. And he says to those who follow him, you have that power too. You don't have to live for sin anymore. You don't have to be chained by the sins and the darkness that used to chain you any longer. That's the whole point. You have power over that sin. Don't listen to the lies of the evil one. And number four, no one who experiences eternal life with Jesus remains hopeless. Hopeless. Your hopelessness is gone forever. Everyone who finds eternal life in Jesus changes completely forever. You see, the resurrection is the single most important truth about Jesus. It is. Buddha died and stayed dead. Muhammad died and stayed dead. Joseph Smith died and stayed dead. But the Lord Jesus Christ arose from the dead and he is seated on the throne of God in heaven right now and forever. Amen. You see, Jesus' grave, I find it so interesting, Jesus' tomb, Jesus' grave is the only grave in history made famous for who is not buried in it. Because Jesus arose from the dead. And the news of Jesus rising from the dead is not about having longer physical life on earth. That's not the point. Because physical life on earth is not the best thing ever, is it? Longer physical life on the earth is not the best gift ever. Jesus arose from the dead to prove to all of us that his words are true. He says in John chapter 11, listen to what he says. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live spiritually and eternally. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die spiritually and eternally. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Powerful. Our application today is very simple. Very simple, but very straightforward. And we need to understand this today. We need to answer these questions today. Number one, do you have new life? And the hope of resurrection to eternal life with Jesus. Do you have that hope today? Do you have that new life today? You will know it if you have it because it changes everything about you. You can have it today if you don't. Turn to Jesus by faith. And it's yours forever. Number two. Has Jesus changed your life forever based on his salvation and forgiveness of your sins? Once again, you will know when you have it. It will change you inside and out. And you can have it today if you don't. Turn to Jesus by faith. Number three, have you surrendered your life to Jesus yet? Because the only place to truly live is in the presence of the life giver. 
If you have it, you will know it. It will change every part of you. And if you don't have it, you can have it today. Turn to Jesus by faith. Sinner, believe in and turn to Jesus today so that you may find forgiveness of your sins and the hope of new life and resurrection to eternal life with God. And everyone, sinner or Christian, learn and be reminded today that Jesus is worthy of your entire trust, your entire life, and place your entire hope in the powerful hands of the life giver. I hope you'll be blessed by the good news today. Listen to what it says in Genesis 22, 8. Reflect on the words of Abraham. He may not have known to what degree his words had this power, but listen to Genesis 22, 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The lamb of God has been provided. His name is Jesus. He's here today for you, for your hope, for your sins, for your new life forever. I pray that you'd find him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson today. Thank you for what this resurrection means to us. I hope at most, at best, it was a reminder today. But Father, even if there are some today who are still in their sins, I pray that they would look to Jesus by faith for the first time today and say, yes, yes, I need it. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He does take away sins. He is the Savior of the world. And they turn to Jesus by faith and find that new life, find that change that we're talking about today. I have experienced, Father, I give all glory to God for that change. And I pray for the souls who are listening. Change those who are still in their sins. Father, for those who are in Christ right now, remind us, motivate us, compel us, constrain us, control us by the love of Christ to lay down our lives for him because he's worthy. He's demanded it, he's commanded it, and he's worthy of it. Help us remember exactly the value of following our Lord Jesus Christ. We give him all the glory today for our spiritual life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.